it's a strange passage, isn't it? It's a very odd passage. I, I need to thank Nicola when she comes back from holiday for giving this one to me. Um, it's an odd passage. It's, it's just bizarre. There's this very funny little parable at the end of it, which talks about a fig tree that hasn't produced fruit. There's a news flash about some Galileans being cut down in the temple by Pilate's soldiers. And then Jesus brings up a disaster in his own kind of in his own storytelling. So what is going on? Well, let's start by looking at verse 2. Look at Jesus' response to the news that these Galileans have been slaughtered in the temple. Jesus says, do you think that those Galileans were were worse sinners? And then look at verse 4. Do you think those Jerusalemites, do you think they were more guilty? There's a very, there is at least an unspoken assumption from those bringing this news to Jesus. That these calamities, these atrocities that had happened were the result of their sin. You see, the assumption was this, that if you live a good life, if you do good, if you go to the temple, if you pray, and if you do all the things that you're supposed to do, if you're an obedient person, keep God's commandments, then God will bless you and he will keep you safe and he will answer your prayers. But if you find yourself in situations where bad things are constantly happening to you and your prayers are not being answered, then you're not living right. You must be a sinner. You must be living with some unconfessed sin or something you are doing is wrong. Because these bad things that are happening to you, these bad things that are happening are because there is sin in your life and it's punishment for that sin. So for those Galileans who were slaughtered in the temple, they must have been really bad sinners, right? To have received that punishment. And before we write it off as a kind of an ancient thought, it's something that doesn't, you know, doesn't affect us today. I think you'll find that it's a, a concept that is prevalent in the world around us. It's expressed slightly differently, it's, but it's the same kind of idea. So many uh, kind of, I did a bit of a search and went on some websites and looked at some videos of like these self-help people. And, and one message kept reoccurring and it was this, you don't get what you want in life, but you get what you deserve. And beyond that, how many times have, have you heard someone say something like, he had it coming to him. Or that's what she was asking for it. You get what you deserve. If you work hard, if you're a nice person, if you're good, you'll be rewarded and have a good life. If you're horrible and treat others badly, well, when calamity strikes, you've bought it on yourself. 
if business is good, if work is good, it's because you've worked hard, you've applied yourself, you've, you've used your acumen. If things are good at home, well, it's because you're a good parent or a good sibling or a good brother or sister. We're constantly bombarded with the thought that if life is good, it must be because we are doing something right. And let's be honest, we love to have a bit of credit when things are going well. We like to think that in some way at least we are, you know, responsible for our success. But on the flip side, if things are going badly, if, if setbacks hit, perhaps we begin to wonder, is this because I'm doing something wrong? I love the Travis top 10 from my childhood. Why does it always rain on me? Was it because I lied when I was 17? Perhaps that becomes our anthem. It seems just as we like to take a bit of credit for the good things in our life, we also like to take a bit of credit when things don't go so well. It's what I deserve. I'm not doing things right. I'm being punished for something. But Jesus, in his response to the crowd, cuts straight through this misconception. He says, I tell you no, verse 3. And then again in verse 5, I tell you no. Those Galileans were not um, were killed by Pilate's soldiers in the temple because of their sin. Because they were more sinful than any other Galilean in the city. Just as those uh, Jerusalemites were not crushed under that tower because they were more sinful than anybody else. Jesus' point is clear that it's not because they were more sinful that they are, um, that calamity strikes, that calamity has hit them. If you turn to John 9, you will see that the disciples question Jesus about a blind man, this, this blind man, and they ask him, Jesus, is it this man's sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? Jesus' response again is, no, it, it's not this man's sin or his parents' sin. Or you read the book of Job. Job is kind of oppressed on every side. He's lost almost everything. And his three friends come to him and they sit with him and they say, Job, come on. It's time to confess. It's time to admit all the things that you have done wrong so that, that God would stop punishing you and, and that you'll be blessed again. But God gets so angry with those three friends. He says, you've got it wrong. In fact, this is, these are his words. He says, my anger burns against you. For you have not spoken of me what is right. Do you think, Jesus asked them, do you think those Galileans brutally murdered in the temple were worse sinners? Do you think those Jerusalemites crushed by that tower, do you think they were worse sinners? 
I tell you, no. This isn't perhaps the most comforting of passages. I'm sorry for that. But it is in the Bible and it is useful to us. But perhaps there is some comfort in the fact that when tragedy strikes, when calamity comes, it's not God's doing. But Jesus doesn't stop at no. He goes on. But unless you repent, you will perish. And each time he says, but unless you repent, you will perish. Well, hold on. If, if it's not because they were worse sinners, why is there a need to repent? It seems contradictory. It doesn't seem to make sense. Well, to help us understand the point, Jesus tells a parable. The parable of a fig tree that is of fruit-bearing age. It's three years old, and and it's never produced any fruit. In Jesus' time, uh, fig trees were often planted in vineyards. And they were planted to kind of supplement what else was going on in the vineyard. But land was precious. And this fig tree would have been sat there taking nutrients from the soil that could nourish a plant that was fruitful. So this waste the space fig tree, what do you do with it? Well, you cut it down and you plant something else that could be fruitful. I mean, a fig tree has one purpose in life. One job, one goal. All it's got to do is sit there day and night and grow figs. That's all it's good for. They're not even good for climbing. We've got one in our garden, and it'll be rubbish. So if the fig tree can't even produce fruit, can't do the one thing it is supposed to do, then is it utterly pointless? It deserves the chop. Remember, you don't get what you want in life, but you do get what you deserve. The fig tree deserves to be cut down. In fact, there were lots of other stories going around at that time when Jesus told this story about other trees that were not fruitful and in every single story, the tree gets chopped down. But that's not the end of Jesus' story. Sir, the gardener replies, leave it alone for one more year. Give it one more chance. Let me dig around it. Let me put in fertilizer. Let me help it to flourish. And if it bears fruit, great. If not, chop it down. The fig tree isn't given what it deserves. It's given a second chance, a further year. And more than this, this barren fig tree is invested in, it's given an extra portion of fertilizer so that it may become what it was always designed to be, a fruitful, productive tree growing sweet, succulent figs. 
Now, scholars have read this parable in various ways. Jesus himself could be the owner and Israel is the tree. And Jesus has come to seek repentance. But in his ministry so far, he, he hasn't found any except one or two disciples, one or two misfits. Or perhaps God is the owner of the garden. And Jesus is desperately seeking to invest uh, goodness into the life of Israel, the tree. Either fit neatly. But scholars have also uh, scholars also agree that, that it doesn't necessarily need to be read that way, but it can be read as a metaphor, giving the same point for us. In the same way, the, deser- uh, the tree deserves to be chopped down. The, the tree doesn't deserve to continue. Nor do we. Nor do we. Not one of us. Not one of us have, have lived a life that doesn't deserve the chop. It's a shocking fact. You know, those Galileans in that, in that temple, actually they deserved the calamity that befell them. The Jerusalemites at the tower, they deserved what happened to them. That sounds awful, doesn't it? Not because they were worse sinners, but because they were sinners. Sinners like you and me. You see, sin has one value. It has one value. There's not, you know, bigger sins over here and smaller sins over there. Sin is sin. It's of equal value. And the penalty for sin is destruction. We are all guilty. We have all fallen short. We are all worthy to be cut down. But look around. Look at the person next to you. Have you noticed We don't get what we deserve. I mean, I have been known on occasions to sin. I know your curate can sin. It's a shocking fact, but it's true. I have been known to sin. I've been known to put other things in God's place in my life. I've given power and authority that should have been reserved to God, to my friends, to my relationships, to my possessions, to my time, to, to myself. I could go on and on and on. But the last time I checked, which was fairly recently, I hadn't been struck down. I hadn't been cut down in some divine act of retribution, justified as that may be. The thing about God is that day after day, time after time, he chooses not to give us what we deserve. We deserve to be chopped down. 
But day after day, time after time, God pours out his love and his patience and his graciousness so that we may take hold of a second chance. Thank God the self-help gurus have got it wrong, right? Thank God that we don't get what we deserve. But I can't imagine how motivational their, their podcast would be if it was entitled, You Don't Get What You Want or What You Deserve. But here comes the warning from Jesus. Like that fig tree that produced no fruit was given a second chance, one more year to bear fruit. So we have been given a second chance. A second chance to bear fruit, the fruit that God wants us to produce in our lives. And that fruit is the fruit of repentance, the fruit that leads to obedience. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of repentance that when you've done something wrong, when you've sinned and it's obvious and you know you've done something wrong, you, you kind of say, yeah, all right, I repent. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. But repentance is far, it's more than that. It's much more than that. Repentance is acknowledging that we willingly give away a power and authority to, to things that are not God, that are, don't deserve that power or authority. We, in other words, we, we give other things. Maybe we give ourselves or our friends or our good stuff. We give that God's place in our life. And repentance is turning back, turning away from those things and turning back to God. Saying, God, come and be where you should be in my life again. Come and be number one. Come and be my all. God does not treat us as we deserve, but he does want his rightful place in our lives. He is jealous for us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to have him as our, his kind of our number one. That's what he wants us. That's where he wants us. And when God is where God should be in our lives, then we produce fruit. We produce fruit, which is sweet. And repentance is how we make sure that God is where God should be in our lives. It's not just when we mess up, but it's a continual turning back, turning back to God, turning back to God in good times and in bad times in all seasons of life. Remember, Jesus was speaking to those who thought they were better. They thought that they were better than those who had suffered in the temple. They thought that they were somehow safe, that they, may, they, were, they were right because they had not uh, 
come under that atrocity. That they were somehow more holy or less sinful. or Just because they were still alive. But not at all. Their righteousness was totally misplaced. Their righteousness was not found in the fact that they hadn't kind of been cut down in the temple because they were saved from that act but their righteousness had been placed in themselves and actually God was saying Jesus is saying to them no you need to place your trust in me because it is only in me that you will be saved when judgment comes and the parable, the parable doesn't mince its words. It doesn't say that the fig tree was now exempt from judgment. The fig tree has a year off, has a reprieve, has, has a temporary delay. Judgment was coming for that fig tree. It had one more year. So too would the crowd face judgment. so too will all of us. I told you this isn't the most comforting of passages. But there is grace running all the way through it, from start to finish. The fact that God doesn't treat us as we deserve there and then, that he doesn't strike us down now, but that he gives us second chance after second chance after second chance. Opportunity to repent, to turn away from those things that cloud what is true and to make God central, number one in our lives again. Our very existence the fact that we have air in our lungs today is a gift of God's grace. Of his outrageous grace. And repentance reminds us of that fact. Repentance reminds us that who is it that is due all the credit for all the good things in our lives? Who is due the credit that I can breathe, that I can stand here today, that I can be here today. Well, it is God. It is God in his mercy. It is God in his grace. It's not because of our own resourcefulness or cunning or skill. It is only God. It is only because of his grace that we can come. And when we repent, we are forgiven we are made right with the Father. He turns us around and puts us back on our feet and brings us into that perfect relationship with God the Father. And we can be assured of this because of what Jesus has done. Jesus was the only man who deserved a good life. He did no wrong. But he did not get what he deserved. He, was, he deserved a crown of gold and jewels. 
precious and valuable, but he was given a crown of thorns that sunk into his skull. He deserved a throne greater than any other, more majestic, more grand than any throne ever sat upon. And he was given a wooden cross on which he was crucified. But that wooden cross became Jesus' throne. Upon it, he exposes the depth of human evil and sinfulness by allowing it to do its worst. But three days later, he rises to life, overcoming sin and evil, defeating it. It's because Christ has done that. It's because Jesus has done that, that he has defeated evil. He has defeated sin, that when we come to him, we know that whatever we bring to him, he is already defeated. He takes it away from us. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. He wipes the slate clean. He restores our relationship with the Father. And he says, come. It's in the light of the gospel, in the light of all that Jesus has done for us, that repentance, re- repentance needn't feel like we have to beat ourselves up until we feel forgiven. But it can be a joyous act. It can be a joyous turning back to what is truly good, what is truly wholesome, what is truly nourishing. Turning away from those things that distort, that that kind of promise goodness but actually don't it's a joy knowing the father it's a joy when our relationship is with the father is is in sync that is where the greatest joy is and so when we repent and turn and find that joy deep joy of the father that's a great moment that's a joyous moment God calls us to repent, to live a life of repentance, not just in those moments where we know we've got it wrong, of course in those moments, but a rhythm, a lifestyle of repentance where we are constantly turning to Jesus, constantly turning to God and saying, God, align my attitudes and my actions, my motives with yours. so that I may bear fruit. After all, fruit is sweet. Fruit is sweet. And a ripe fig is is amazing. It's succulent, it's gooey, it's it's just a beautiful fruit. Repentance, the fruit of repentance sweetens you and me. It sweetens us as we meet the Father, as we encounter his love, as we're wrapped up in his embrace, as we're transformed by his power, as we bear his fruit in the world. I don't know how you come this evening, but perhaps this evening you would like to say, Jesus, Here I am. 
turn me round. Bring me back to you. Bring me back to that first love. May, may my relationship with you be fully restored. I want that. Maybe there's something that you've kind of held, held on to for a long time. Something that makes you feel guilty. It's something that pulls you down. Something that you struggle with. Maybe tonight is an opportunity to come and say, Jesus, I want to I give you this. I want to turn away from this thing that is, that is pulling me down, that's holding me back. Come and meet me where I'm at. Embrace me. Be number one in my life again. We're going to invite the band back up wherever they are. And as they uh, play over us, why don't we just take a moment, just take a moment to, to pause and say, Jesus, here I am. I turn back to you. I turn to you. And then, if you'd like to pray with someone, there'll be some people over here to my left. You're right, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to, to seal whatever it is God is doing in your life. So let's pray. Jesus, we are sorry that we allow other things to take your place in our lives. We thank you that you do not treat us as we deserve, but you give us chance after chance after chance. And this evening, Lord Jesus, we want to turn back to you. Wrap your loving arms around us.